I'm sort of disappointed. I had a message for 11 on down, and I don't know what I'm going to preach. That's okay. Um, I always enjoy the music here. I love the singing and praising God at this time of year. That song, Now Think Ye All Our God, Now Think We All Our God, you ought to read the history of that. It's a sad and beautiful history of that song. Um, just want to give an update. Some people have been asking me, how, how was your trip to Mexico? I went there for our anniversary. We had a great, great day. Uh, we had uh, uh, 300 in attendance, just right on 300. But what was neat was to see the auditorium just packed, uh, packed. Uh, we had a, like a 230 adults almost. And, and uh, uh, we had to put, we, we, have 50, we have 128 seats, and then we have 55 folding chairs. We had to scour throughout the building, look for those get them all in there, and we still we had people standing in the back. It was, it was thrilling. Uh, we had five people, five adults saved, four, four adults and, and a teenager, and we thank, thank God for that. And, and uh, the Saturday before that, we had prayer meeting just like here, and it's just great to hear stories of what God's been doing the last few weeks, or the last few months since we've been gone. A man, I was able to baptize a man named Marco that was saved in my absence, and now has, he's putting his kid, I think, this week in the Christian school. And so we're excited about that. And uh, and a family named Moises, they joined the church. They're from the mission that we started a year ago by the airport. And uh, he was already saved, but they were just basically floating in their Christian life. And they got excited through through attending the mission there. And now uh, they go out soul winning every Wednesday when we have Wednesday soul winning for the mission. And he and his wife and two teenage daughters. And and, uh, it's just a thrill to see them now members of our church. And uh, other things going on. There's a lady named Soledad. Uh, we have a uh, man named Jose Luis. He lives right around the corner from our house. He runs the pharmacy there. He's in charge of the pharmacy. And he came to church the last furlough when I was gone. He got saved. And uh, he's grown in the Lord. And his wife started coming about a year ago or so. And uh, she's a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist in the police department, uh, taking care of kids that are abused, you know, just... Uh, Trying to be a help to them, and and she got saved and an uh, uh, RU program just a few weeks ago, and uh, now she's passing out tracks there where she works. So it's just a great blessing to see what God's doing. Uh, think of a fellow named Angel who started coming to mission there across the, the over there by the airport as well. Um, he uh, started uh, not just coming, but he wanted a Bible, and now he has a Bible, and it's great to see him reached. And he's a uh, He's an uh, informant for the police. He, he's in the you know rough part of town and in the roughest dealing with the rough you know with the roughest people uh, mixed in with them at night. That's where he mostly works, and you can just imagine just uh, you know pray for him as well. It's not easy, but uh, it's just exciting to see what God's doing in our church. Just keep on praying for for our church. Um, turn in your Bibles to John chapter ten, verse ten. John chapter 10, verse 10, God gave me this message, um, laid on my heart to preach this message a few months ago when I was asked to preach it, and then I realized, oh, we're coming close to Thanksgiving, maybe I need to change my message to a Thanksgiving message, because I love preaching on Thanksgiving, I just love it, but uh, I, th- I believe this is a message God wants us wants me to preach, so we'll, we'll preach this one, John chapter 10, verse 10, says, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you just bless this message, God. I pray that you would show us what you'd have for us today, Lord. There is a thief that wants to rob us of many things. And Lord, I pray that you would help us not to give in to that thief. Unfortunately, uh, we give in to that thief. We let him rob things from us. And Lord, I pray that you would just help us to be on our guard and help us to see what we're missing or what we lose when we allow this thief into our life. Lord, I pray that you just uh, speak to our hearts, God. And Lord, I pray that it would be a message that would help us to see sin in a different light. And Lord, I pray that you just uh, work in our hearts and, and it would be a life-changing message. Lord, I pray that you just give me words to say and power to preach. I pray these things in your name. Amen. When we read this passage here, or this verse, we see a great contrast. We see the thief that comes in, he steals, he kills, he destroys, he leaves our life in ruins... And then contrasted with that, you have the Lord Jesus Christ, who gives us a life and life more abundantly. Amen. What a great difference. And uh, that's why it's uh, stunning that we allow this thief, when we can have an abundant life as Christians, we allow this thief many times. And we can give so many examples of Christians in the Bible and also in our experience that have been robbed, that have been stolen from. They have had their lives destroyed and even killed because they allowed the devil to do it. And Lord, and tonight I want us, the Lord to show us, uh, what God does, what, what, what we're losing and what God does not want us to lose from this thief. Now, many people have interpreted that the thief is Satan and that, uh, it's contrasting with Christ and that could be, but I want us to look what is the work of Satan. And Satan uses this work to allow our lives to be, things to be stolen from us, uh, to even be destroyed and to be killed sometimes. And that, that work is sin. So I want us to look at this thief as being the sin that Satan uses to steal from us, to even kill some, and certainly to destroy lives. I see here uh, several things that sin robs from us that I want us to look at tonight. The first thing I want us to look at that sin robs from us is love and empathy for others. You know, I've dealt with, uh, as we have an RU program over the years, I've dealt with people with addictions. And one thing that I see about the addictions is their selfishness. Because they're only thinking about themselves. They could be ruining their own lives, but not only their own lives, but they could be ruining the lives of their wife and children, the people around them. There's even a principle in the Ten Principles that mentions how uh, people destroy those that they love the most and are closest to them and, and within their sphere of influence, but they don't care. All they care about is gratifying themselves. And that could be drugs and alcohol, and we just know how that can destroy a family and destroy lives. It could be pornography and how that can be de- destroy a marriage and, and, and destroy a man. Uh, it could be, how about the sin of gossip? How that can destroy so many people around us, but there's so many people that are, t- uh, are self-gratified by being able to tell the juiciest tidbit to others. And they don't realize or they don't care that they're destroying the lives of others. Because it's all about themselves. Sin has a way of taking us like an orange and squeezing all the empathy that we have for others out of us. 
until we're just a shriveled up peel, a shriveled up shell of a Christian. There's no more empathy because we're just concerned about ourselves. And it's an awful thing for a Christian to lose love for others, have their empathy robbed of others, where all they think about themselves when they could be greatly used of God, to be a blessing to others. But they're only consumed about themselves. The Bible says in Matthew 24, 12, Because of iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. It says, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you should be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. We get so wrapped up in our sin, sin deceives us and gets us to concentrate just on gratifying ourselves to the point our heart becomes hardened. And then we wonder why we don't have a burden for souls. Why we don't have a burden for our family. It's because we have allowed sin to consume us so much that all we think about is ourselves. And we become unprofitable to God. Oh, don't let sin rob you of your empathy. Where you're just a shell of a person that you ought to be. You know, in John chapter 13, it talks about love. And near the end of that, and I didn't really understand for a long time why at the end it talks about when I was a child, I spake as a child, I had judgment as a child and thought as a child, and we all know that. But you think about that, what is a child? Especially a young child, do they really have a lot of love for others? You know, when they're a baby, are they really thinking about others? Are they thinking we're about to cry at three in the morning? You know what? Maybe that's not a good idea. I don't want to wake up my mother that I love so much, you know. And then when they're, you know, the age of the nursery, you know, they're not thinking about sharing that toy with that, you know, fellow uh, nursery per- child, right? They're just thinking about themselves and how it gratifies them. And, you know, they're not so concerned about others. But thankfully, or hopefully, when someone gets older and more mature, they aren't so self-centrical and they're starting to think of others and how others feel. I mean, that's the normal process when somebody matures. And that's what Paul is saying. When I was a child, I thought I was a child. But when I became a man, when I became mature, a mature person and a mature Christian, then I learned what love really is. And I'm living for others and not for myself. But our sin can put us back into the nursery stage. Back into the baby Christian stage. And it's a shame when we could be greatly used of God. Using our empathy to care for and to meet other spiritual as well as physical needs. Another thing that sin, the thief... Steals from Christian hearts, and if that's the message, that's if you need a title, sin, the thief that steals from Christian hearts. The second uh, thing that I see that sin steals from us and robs from us is our faith, our confidence in God. Turn with me, well, stay there, we're already there. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. In departing from the living God, many times our sin hardens us so there's no belief. We don't believe God. We don't believe in his promises. 
We don't have any confidence. And that makes sense. If we don't have, if we're in sin, we don't have the presence of God. Amen. And if we don't have the presence of God, we're going to feel all alone. We're going to feel like there's no one there to help us. We're not going to feel like we can have, we have someone that we can call to because we know we're not right with him. And it steals our confidence in God. Sin steals our faith. Makes us faithless. Gives us hearts of unbelief. Hardened hearts of unbelief. Turn with me to 1 John. 1 John. Chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. Hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. The Bible says here, when our heart condemns us, we, we know when we're wrong. We know we're in the sin, but we don't want to get rid of it. But God even knows our sin even more than we know it ourselves. And our heart can even deceive us, the Bible says, it's desperately wicked. And our heart, God knows us even more than we know ourselves. But if our heart condemns us and we know we're not right with God, it says, uh, it, it says after that in 21, beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence towards God. So if we know we're right with God and because we have, we, we've dealt, we're dealing with the sin that's in our life, the known sin that we have, then we can have confidence with God. Amen. We know God is with us. We know that God hears our prayers and we can pray with confidence. But contrarily, if we don't have God in our life, when we're living in sin, you know, and I know our confidence in prayer is robbed from us, isn't it? And that's why we pray these general prayers. Be with Pastor Mitchell. Be with Fairhaven Baptist Church. Be with Pastor Reardon down in Mexico. Well, you know what? God's always going to be with us. Amen. God promised to be with us. But we have specific needs in this church. Pastor Mitchell has specific needs. My ministry has specific needs. The other ministries that we support have specific needs. We all have specific needs. Are you praying for specific things to be answered? Many times we don't pray specific prayers because we don't want to be disappointed. Amen. We don't want to be disappointed, so we go on praying these general prayers, knowing, well, God's going to answer those, but we're afraid to pray for specific prayers, and one reason is because we don't have confidence with God. It's been stolen from us by our sin. The Bible promises here, great promise, what a great promise it says here, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments. God says, I'm going to give you whatever you ask. You just ask me and I'll give it to you. But there's a clause there, that there's, a, there's a condition, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. But we know when we're not keeping his commandments, we know when we're not pleasing him in his sight, and that's why we don't have the confidence to pray and expect to get what we ask, we ask for. We lose that great confidence. That we can have in prayer and be greatly used of God in prayer. And Satan knows that and that's why he wants to steal from us us our confidence. So we don't pray that way as we ought to pray. Because he's afraid of people who pray with confidence. Another thing that God steals, uh, uh, I'm sorry, that uh, sin steals from us is our joy. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Oh, how Eve... Was deceived. But she's just like us. She thought. And she was deceived by Satan in thinking. 
that that fruit is what would give her joy, happiness. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, verse 6, and that it was pleasant to the eyes in a tree to be desired to make one wise, and that she was told a lie, that she was going to be like God, she was going to be wise, and she saw that it was pleasant to the eyes, she, she just said, I, you know, I, I can't. How can I not pass up this opportunity? She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her and he did eat. And isn't that like us so many times? Satan has us duped into thinking this. You've got to do it. You're going to miss something if you don't do it. You're going to miss some pleasure there. You're going to miss some happiness there. And there is pleasure in it, but it's fleeting. But, but that's the other side of the coin he doesn't tell you about. That afterwards there's guilt. And afterwards there's shame. And our joy is stolen from us. That's what happened here. She was all ready to get some pleasure. She was all ready to have some fleeting happiness. But the eyes of them both were opened. They knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons because, because of their shame. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, the sad words, the first sad words of the Bible. Where art thou? Where are they? They were hiding. That's why the Bible says later on in Romans chapter 3. There's none that seeketh after God. Because we run away from God when we're in our sin. We hide from God. And where's joy in that? There's only joy in the presence of God. Not hiding from God. Maybe you're a person here that's hiding from God because of your sin. You haven't had devotions in weeks. Because there's sin in your heart because you're hiding from God. You're miserable when you come to the church service. And you should be miserable if you're in sin. Amen. Oh, how our joy is stolen. How we can be so deceived. We, we, well, we, and there, there's so many people I've known, so many people. I've known them in our church. Sure, people in this church. They have no joy. They're Christians. They're, the, they're almost as if, why? Uh, you know, it's not even worth it being a Christian. I'm so miserable. But it's their own fault. The Bible says in Psalm 32. Psalm 32. This is... Uh, it's like a parallel, parallel psalm to Psalm 51. It's talking about the same time of life, of the same experience of, of David when he sinned against Bathsheba. He says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Now he's been forgiven. He went through the Psalm 51 experience. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, in whose spirit there is no guile. But when I kept silence... My bones waxed old through all my roaring, all the, through roaring, through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. There upon his bed he, 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 his couch was, was wet with the moisture of, of, of anxiety, knowing that he was wrong with God. His bones waxed old. Maybe you feel like that tonight. Your, bone, your bones wax old. You, you have a hard time sleeping because of your conscience, because of sin in your life that's keeping and robbing you of your joy. Satan wants to do that. He doesn't want us to be happy. 
He doesn't want us to have joy. He knows there's nothing, no greater testimony than with a Christian who has a whole lot of joy, amen, at work. You know, at the grocery store, amen. There's so many people without joy and, and we have a great uh, uh, opportunity to be that great testimony and Satan wants to rob us of that testimony. What you need to do is do what David did do in chapter or Psalm 51. There's no chapter 51 in Psalm, but Psalm 51, verse 8. Psalm 51, verse 8. I heard a message on this not too long ago. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. The same bones that were waxing old before may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. There's nothing like knowing that you're right with God, that there's no uh, known sin in your life. Amen. If you've got it all confessed. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. It's a lot easier to witness to people when we have joy in our heart, amen? When, there's, when we know there's nothing between us and the Savior. And Satan wants us to keep our mouths quiet. He wants us to be bowled over with, with, with sadness and, and guilt and, and shame. But God wants us to get rid of the sin so we can have confidence, witness with confidence. And be able to have joy and be able to convert sinners unto him. Not only does uh, sin still love from us and rob faith from us and joy, it also robs us of our liberty. Our liberty. Turn with, we're already in Psalm, so let's go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 45. Read this in my devotion the other day and I got excited about it. And I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. See, when we're seeking God's precepts and doing what God wants us to do, and seeking to obey his precepts, not what we want to do, we can walk at liberty, amen? We can feel liberty. You know, Christian life isn't bondage and I have to do this and I have to do that. Christian is I get to serve God, amen, without disappointing him when we're right with him. Walk at liberty. Look what it says. Uh, but on contrary, contra- contrarily, in verse one thirty-five, it talks about something besides liberty. I think it's one. It's one thirty-three. I'm sorry. Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Oh, so many people are being dominated by sin when they could be walking in liberty. There's nothing like walking in liberty, but there's nothing also like. Walking, knowing that you're under a cloud of dominion, you're tied, your, your hands are tied by sin that it seems like you can't conquer or get the victory over. God doesn't want that. He wants to have victory. But when we play with sin, that's what happens. It just starts circling, that, that cord starts circling around our hands and ties us. And it seems like we can't stop. It says in Psalms 19.13, keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. That's why we need to make sure, that's why we need to be careful from presumptuous sins. 
Oh, when we commit a presumption of sin, we ought to get right with it right away. Because the Bible says, if not, it says, let me them not have dominion over me. That's why we need to be careful of doing, presuming to do things that we know we should not do. Because there's always that, that danger of getting dominated by that sin. Because we'll do it over and over. The first time we do it, okay, you know, I'm, I'm never going to do it again. The second time, it's harder to say no, isn't it? It's, but the contrary, when we say yes, you know what? There's power in to be able to say yes. I mean, when we say no, when we I'm sorry, when we say yes, it's easy to say yes again. I think I got it wrong. But when we say no, contrarily, you know what? It's easier to say no to sin again. Have you noticed that? You have more power to say no the second time and the third time and the fourth time. But contrarily, if we give into it, okay, that's the last time. It's easier to say yes again. And yes, because we're being dominated by it. David continued to say, then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. The problem is we get dominated by it until it becomes the great transition from which we can never pull ourselves back again. Oh, how we need to, we need to, when we are tempted to sin presumptuously, we need to remember this. It's robbing me of my liberty. We always talk about freedom. We're Christians and we're Americans. We love freedom. But then why in why then are we always giving ourselves back to the devil saying, okay, here I am again. It doesn't make any sense. It didn't make sense to Paul when he wrote in Paul and, and Paul in Romans chapter 6. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter, I love this chapter. One of the greatest chapters in the Bible. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Turn in there because there's several verses I want to look at real quick. Romans chapter 6, 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. There is no excuse for serving sin as Christians. Amen? No excuse. For he that is dead is freed from sin. And I remember I was in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, listening to an old preacher there when I was on deputation. And, I, and he had this, the 7-Eleven plan, he called it, for victory over sin. Verse 7, that he, that, to, that for, that he is dead is freed from sin. That's the, that's the truth there. But then you need to reckon that truth in verse 11 and realize that truth in your life. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead. It's a fact. We are dead to sin, the Bible says. But in experience, we say, but I'm not dead to sin because we haven't reckoned it. We reckon ourselves dead to sin. Realize that God has cut off the, he, the Bible says he's crucified the old man. The body of sin, that the body of sin might be destroyed or rendered inoperative. And if we go into sin, it's because we have decided to do it. It doesn't have to be that way. Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's where the liberty comes. Let not your sin reign in your mortal body. Don't let it reign in your mortal body. Say no to the power of God that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. As those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. 
For you are not under the law, but under grace. Oh, yield yourself unto God that he may not have dominion. The devil may not, and the sin may not have dominion over you. That's a promise from God, amen? It's a promise from God. He wants to give us victory over sin. Verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether sin unto death or obedience unto uh, righteousness? This implies choice. Okay, We don't have to sin. We decide to sin. We give in to sin. The unsaved man, he, he has no choice. But we have a choice. 18 and 19. Being then made free from sin, ye become the servants of righteousness. I seek after the matter of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members as servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. Oh, if we would bring two people here on either side of me, if you would have on one side the servant of sin and on the other side the servant of God, what a great difference you can see just in their face. Amen. And their happiness or their misery. And then we would say, how in the world do I let myself become a servant of sin? Satan is a cruel taskmaster. Well, our God is a loving master. Why? Oh, why would we want to be a servant of Satan and sin when we don't have to? Sin has a way of robbing us of our liberty. Then last of all, sin has a way of robbing us of our power. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Oh, God wants to give every person here power. Everyone. Man or woman. Young person or older person. It's for everyone. It's for the taking. The power to influence others for the Lord. The power to have victory over sin is for the taking. But many times it's robbed from us because we'd rather have our sin than have the power of God. Unfortunately, that's true. Or we'd all be living in the power of God. (laughs) But why don't we? Many times we don't have the faith to ask for and to seek it, but also because many times our sin prevents it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 through 22. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Why should we depart from iniquity? Because we're losing something wonderful when we don't. And that's what we see in the next two verses. But in a great house, there are, only, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth. And some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared for every good work. There's vessels in a great house. There's those that are used for, for, for the master of the house to drink, cure, pure and clean. And then there's the slop bucket that no one would even think about drinking out of. Which one do you think God wants to use? Which one do you think God can use? The slop bucket or the crystal goblet? Which one do you want to be? It all depends on what we do with our sin. You know, the Bible says in Romans 3.12, when it talks about all of humanity, 
They are all to become, they are all together become unprofitable. And the context is the reason why we have become unprofitable to God as a, as a race is because of our sin. But then we're saved. So we shouldn't be unprofitable anymore. We should be useful for the master's work. Amen. To advance his kingdom. Powerful weapons, or in this case, you could say vessels for his use. For the master's use, the Bible says. Honor, sanctify, set apart as we heard this morning. Prepared unto every good work. But many of us are content with being useless. Because we want our sin more than we want to be used of God. What a shame that is. What a shame. The Bible, you know, God, where does the power come from? It doesn't come from us. We know that. It comes from the Spirit of God. Are, are, are you with me? The Spirit of God. So, what should we avoid if we want the power of the Spirit of God in our life? We should avoid making Him, uh, grieving Him. Turn with me, please, to Ephesians. Sometimes I'm about to say something in Spanish and I have to think twice before what I want to say. But here it says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby we are sealed on the day of redemption. There's power in being yielded to the Holy Spirit of God. We know that. There's power when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. But he's not going to fill a dirty vessel. He's not going to fill a full vessel either that's full of pride. He can't. He can't fill someone someone who's full of themselves, their ambition, their pride, or their sin. Because it grieves the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. But you don't know what they've done to me. You don't know what you're doing to yourself. You're robbing yourself of power. You're robbing yourself of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because you're bitter with what someone has done to you. And you're wrathful and maybe you have evil speaking in the home. And God can't bless you because of that. That's why God tells us to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. It's not just in there just to get along with people well. It's, it's vital if you want to have the power of God in your life. I understand someone who could say, you know, a preacher, a preacher even that can say, I have the power of God and he's not kind to people or bitter. It's impossible. It's impossible to have the power of God in your life when you have bitterness in your life. It's impossible. You're just, you, you can make excuses if you want for your sin, but you're not going to have any power. It's impossible. Bible says to be not drunk with wine wherein it's excess, but be filled with the Spirit. That means to empty yourself of your own self and your selfishness and your pride and your sin. Whatever sin that may be. Gross sin or spiritual sins of bitterness or gossip or what have you. Turn with me to Acts 4.31. Oh, don't we want to have this experience where we can pray for power, you know, it's, it's power to serve God, but it's power in prayer that we're missing as well when we have sin in our life. So we don't feel like praying. That's why you don't pray fervently. Like we cannot be denied. 
That's why we won't pray with confidence. Because we know we're grieving the Holy Spirit of God. And our prayers are just going to hit the ceiling and bounce right back down at us. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. But these people could pray with confidence. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken together where they were assembled together. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. This isn't just for the first century. This is for the 21st century. God wants us to be able to call out these doors speaking with boldness. But how bold can you be when you know have you? And you know what it's like. I know what it's like to have sin in our lives. We're not very bold, are we? You know, we try to witness someone. And, or maybe the Holy Spirit says, witness that person. The devil's there saying, you know how your life is before that person. You know how you are at, you know, you're witnessing. You want to witness someone at work? And you've been uh, uh, not someone easy to get along with at work? Or maybe a, a neighbor. You know, I had to do that down in Mexico. You know, I had to start, you know, how am I going to reach these neighbors? I'm not friendly with, you know, if I'm fighting with a neighbor over, you know, how to park, you know, we're always fighting over parked cars and you can imagine in a city. You know? uh, but I had to start, you know, I had to say, you know, if I'm going to reach them, I need to be friendly to them. I need to love them. They need to see Christ in me. Or I'm not going to have the power of God that I desperately need, that you desperately need. That boldness, that power that comes behind a clean life and praying for that power. But we can't pray for that power if we don't have a clean life. James chapter 5 verse 16. Before it talks about the prevailing prayer. It says, first of all, in that same verse, we need to confess our faults one to another. Confess your faults one to another, verse 16. And pray one for another that ye may be healed. God wants to do great things. He wants to heal people. He wants us to have great power in prayer, but we need to confess our sin. We need to take care of that sin. If we have a problem with a brother, we need to get that taken care of as well. Or it's not taken care of. If we have a problem with a brother, we confess it to God, but don't confess it to them. You know, we are not still right with God. We're not right with our brother. We're not right with God. Amen? That takes pride to do that. That's what I'm talking about. We got to empty of ourselves and say, and be able to go to someone and say, "I am wrong. I was wrong. Forgive me." Whether it's our wife, whether it's our husband, whether it's our kids, or whether it's our fellow uh, fellow church member, then we can take the last part of this verse as a promise. In verse 16, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, righteous woman, availeth much. Well, we've got to be righteous so that our prayers will be effectual. Effectual means completing the purpose for which it is uh, desired or, 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 or done. We pray specifically for, for specific things that it may be accomplished. And then fervent prayer. We can be specific when we pray, knowing, God, you, you know, I... As far as I know, I'm right with you. I don't see why this, this, I don't see why this prayer can't be answered. Amen? We should be able to pray like that. The show fervent prayer of righteousness. We're going to be more fervent when the more confidence that we have. We'll pray like we cannot be denied. Mary, Queen of Scots, back in the 1500s, she said, I fear the prayers of John Knox. Than all the assembled armies of Europe. Wow. But do you think she could have said that about John Knox if he was living in sin? (laughs) 
You think so? I don't think so. It was John Knox who said, give me Scotland or I'll die. And God gave it to him. The Scottish Reformation. But if he was playing with sin, you think he would have had Scotland? Do you think the queen would have even thought about him, given her a thought? Oh, God wants us to be powerful Christians just like that, powerful in prayer. Well, we've got to hate our sin enough to want to be able to pray that way. We've got to get rid of our sin. Because sin robs us from our power to witness, our power to pray. So in conclusion, Christ came, the devil comes to steal. The devil comes to steal. But thankfully, Christ came to destroy the works of the devil in us. Amen? First John 3, 8. Love this verse. Love this verse. First John 3, 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of Man was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Oh, the works of the devil in society, in America. And oh, how the works of the devil are manifest in our country. But I think more than anything, he's talking about ourselves, us. He came to destroy the works of the devil in you and in me. Why don't we cooperate with God and allow him to do that? Christ came not to steal, not to kill, not to destroy, but to give life and life more abundantly. So we can choose which one we want. You know, God wants to give us love, faith, joy, freedom, and power. But the devil wants to rob all those things from us. Because when we have love and faith and joy and freedom and power, we're powerful Christians. They can affect this world for the Lord. Satan fears Christians who have all these things in their life. He wants to rob us of these things because he knows those who have these things are effective fighting men for God and women. Like that verse, 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Watch therefore, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. God wants to be those kind of men and women. With love and faith and joy and freedom and power, Satan fears them. And that's why he wants us to fall. That's why he wants us to sin. So all those things are sucked out of us like an orange juice. That's All the juice is sucked out of it and there's nothing left but just, just a sad, shrink, shriveled up, shriveled up a person or Christian or banana, uh, orange peel there. We need to learn to hate evil. Hate evil. That sin that's attracting you, learn to hate it because it's robbing you of every wonderful thing you can have in your life. Learn to hate sin. You know, we talk about the demise of our country, the demise of our world, but when we give in a sin, we are participating in that demise. Think about it. Oh, we could talk about all the wickedness in, 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 in the Congress and in the schools. But when we sin, we are participating in that same demise. And where is revival going to come from? After all, it doesn't come from Christians. And why is our country in demise if it isn't for us Christians? Oh, we're attracted to the same thing that's killing us spiritually. We're drawn away by our own lusts. 
that are in league with the devil. It's about time we break that league with him. And we say, I'm not going to let this sin, with the power of God, with the help of God, I'm not going to let that wicked sin steal me of my love for others and my empathy or my faith and confidence in God or in the joy that I need if I'm going to be a good testimony to others and enjoy life (laughs) or the freedom that I feel when I'm right with God, knowing that there's nothing enslaving me and the power that we all desperately need if we're going to reach those kids on that bus route or those older folk in the nursing home, or our neighbor, or our fellow worker, or our relative. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, the devil hates us in our testimony, and he wants us to be completely ineffective as soldiers of the Christ, soldiers of the Lord. He wants to rob us and forgive us for participating in that. In the minds of our country, forgive us for giving in to Satan who wants to destroy us and destroy our family. Lord, forgive us. Many times we, every time, it's because we have given an inch to him. Voluntarily, the same one who wants to destroy our lives and our testimony, a powerful testimony that we can be to others to advance the kingdom of God. Forgive us. Lord, I pray that some of us would think about their, their own lives. We think about our own lives. We think about sins that are robbing us from being that great, powerful Christian that we can be to influence the world for you. And Lord, I pray that you would, every time we're tempted, that we remember that those sin, that sin that is tempting us, is, that sin is tempting with us, is not worth it. It's not worth it that we remember Eve that it's not worth what we lose. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would speak to people's hearts tonight. I pray these things in your name. Amen. With head-